you are joining us, this is part two of the book of James. We've been talking about uh, who James is. James is the little brother of Jesus, a little brother of Jesus. If you didn't know that, Jesus had brothers and sisters. It's all throughout scripture. You can see he had a little brother named Jesus. And we talked about last week how, man, can we just go ahead and say how much pressure that must have been to be the brother of Jesus? For mom to say, hey, James, why can't you act like your brother Jesus? Come on, I mean, you know, that's always, that's just, that's just rough. That's got to be a rough, a rough gig. Uh, but he is the brother of Jesus. Uh, he, he grows up, puts his faith actually in his brother Jesus and uh, becomes a pastor and writes this book, James. James is written in A.D. 40, years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so it's one of the first books of the New Testament. Even though it's in the back of your Bible, it's actually one of the first ones. The Bible's not chronological, by the way. It's a whole other story. But um, So he was writing this book to churches. And there was churches spread all throughout the region. And they would read these letters that... James penned, and, and he penned a letter and sent it out to all these churches, and so they're reading this letter, and this is a letter to Christians, encouraging them, challenging them, provoking them, um, teaching them, training them, correcting them on what it is to be a Christian, and so that is the book of James. Last week, we talked about this is only a test, and uh, we talked about how do we walk through trials in life, and how do we see them as opportunities to have great joy, knowing that they are tests that God uses for our development. So if you, if you missed that, you can go on our website, oscconnect.com, or you can go on our Facebook page. You can go a bunch of different places, watch it, listen to that message. Um, but today we're in part two. So guess what chapter we're in? Good, man, you guys are so smart, so smart. So chapter two is where we're gonna be, and uh, James is gonna talk to us about how to have faith and what does real faith, true faith look like. You know, I hear people say all the time, man, I'm just losing my faith. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Man, I'm just kind of losing faith, losing faith in this situation. And so usually one of the pushbacks I always ask is, who's your faith in? If your faith's in yourself, then you're, you're definitely going to lose it. But if it's in God, I'm going to tell you, you'll never lose that. And I'm going to show you why in these verses as we dive into James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. So it says this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Now here's the big question. Can that faith save him? So someone that says they believe in God, but they don't live that way, can that faith save him? So that's the big question we're going to ask today. Hebrews 11 says this, without, everybody say it, faith, faith it is, say it, impossible. impossible to please God. So without this, you need to have faith. And if you don't have faith, it's going to be impossible to please God. So we need to make sure that we have faith for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. How many believe God's a rewarder of those who seek him? How many have been rewarded by God for seeking him? So let's pray today. Father, we love you. God, we, we start off this time today with first off just acknowledging how blessed we are, how thankful we are to get up, to have breath in our lungs, and to be here today. God, we thank you, Lord, that you don't dwell in buildings, you dwell in people. So today I pray that you would come, dwell in your people, speak to them, use your word. I thank you, God, that this word is not just words on a, on, a, on a page, but God, this is breathing, living, and active. It is alive, and it is breathing new life in your people today. So God, help me. Help me to say all the things that you want to say. And God, today we just thank you, thank you, thank you for air conditioning. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Come on now. If you don't thank him for it, he'll take it away. And so you better make sure you think for it. About a year, 
year ago or so, um, my wife got me into something that I was not wanting to get into for a long time. And there was a reason why I was not wanting to get into it. And, uh, and I'll tell you that in just a minute. But there was something that my wife really was pushing for me to get into. And that was working out. How many in here work out? Three, four. Okay, good. All right. So everybody else is like me. All right. How many of you do not want to work out? All right. How many of you go to work? And that is workout. Okay. How many moms in here have children? And that is working out. Okay. All right. So, okay. So you, a lot of you work out. You just work out in different forms. But anyways, needless to say, my wife is, is a very disciplined person, loves, actually enjoys working out and, and loves working out. Um, I don't know what is wrong with her, but she enjoys excruciating pain. Um, but she decided that she did not want to be the only one in the house that, was ex- that could not fill her legs. And so... <laughs> She needed a partner, right, Joe? And so, um, so I, I was begin this workout journey. And one of the things that I learned first off is, you know, when I started working out was there's different types of workouts. There's different types of exercises, you know, of course, that work different parts of your body. But there was a definition of a type of workout called gym fit. So what gym fit was was that there's these people who go to the gym and their desire is to be fit and stronger, but usually it's geared around a certain part of their body. You've seen those guys who walk around and they're massively huge on the top and then you wonder if they've ever done a squat. Y'all know those people? Chicken legs. And so, um, yeah, we've seen those people. Man, they, they're bodybuilding and pumping and, and they are strong. I mean, they are physically strong, but you wonder where their legs went. And, but they go in and they're, they're doing all this and there's a, there's a gym fit. It looks good on the outside. I mean, they are jacked and ripped and, and look, look the part. But, but somehow it doesn't actually carry over into actual daily life. It's just kind of the, the gym life. It's the gym fit. But when I, when I started working out, one of the things I started learning was that kind of there's a new trend going on, and that is functional fitness. Functional fitness is a little bit different than gym fitness because gym fitness is, is you know, you're going in and, you know, you're, I got, I got, some, I got some dumbbells here. Um, imagine these are 100. And so... Um, <laughs> Why are you laughing? So, so uh, you, you know, you don't, uh, gym fit, you don't, I, I don't do that at home. That doesn't really help me in life. You know, I, I don't come home and, I, you know, I'm sitting by the couch and, hey, baby, nice to see you. I don't do that. I don't do that. You know, I don't do this in real life. I just don't, I don't do that. Uh, there's not a lot that I do with that, okay? Um, but with functional fit, though, functional fit's a totally different ballgame. Functional fit is designed for you to do exercises that actually would help you in your normal day life. So, you know, you're carrying around these, you know, and doing, doing some lunges to help get, that, get those glutes and those hamstrings and get those things going. You're doing some squats like you're picking up, you know. How many of you have ever walked out? How many know when you go to Walmart, okay, and you come back home and your wife's like, hey, baby, I need help with the groceries. How many know you grab 15 bags? Like, how many know you only want to make one trip? Any, any one trippers in here? Okay. So this workout right here really helps that, okay? I just want to let you know. I do this all the time, all right? I'm at CrossFit doing this, and I'm imagining Walmart bags, okay? It's helping. So I did it this week, okay? That's functional fitness. It helps me daily. This past uh, two weeks ago, we went on a vacation. Went to Colorado, and so one of the things... <laughs> Slow down a little bit. <laughs> I still need some functional fitness to help me with my preaching. So, 
we went to this cave. We went to this cave part. And um, when we're in Colorado, Joel, our youngest son, because of what he has, he has to wear oxygen pretty much all the time. So, so we have this portable oxygen concentrator. It's 25 pounds or so. It's, it's tall. It's on wheels, you know, and I'm carrying it everywhere. And so we go to this cave and, you know, it's this gorgeous place. And so we want to go take this two-hour tour on this cave. Boys are excited. I'm excited. Lindsay's excited. So we go and uh, we get to the place where they have everybody, you know, get ready for the tour guide. So the tour guide shows up and me and the boys, you know, I'm pulling, Joel's got his oxygen on and, you know, I'm pulling it behind him. And uh, the tour guide pulls me aside and says, sir, um, I just want to let you know there are over 200 flights of stairs on this tour. And I looked at him and said, you know, I work out. <laughs> so no problem. He's like, I just, I'm just telling y'all. So I look at Lindsay. Lindsay's like, you can handle that? I'm like, Pfft. actually, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. You're going to have to do it. You know, because <laughs> my wife's stronger than me. So, uh, so anyways, needless to say, we go through the whole tour, 200 flights of stairs. I mean, it's like inclines, like straight up. And I'm, I'm, I'm holding this thing all the way through. We get done, get done with the tour. I look at the tour guide and say, yo mama. <laughs> I was really proud of myself though. At the end of it, I did, I did carry the whole thing and, and it was great. But uh, it, it worked. So a lot of the fitness that I had done before helped me actually in that moment to be able to climb stairs you know, these box jumps that I do that just doesn't seem like it's helping anything actually helped me climb some stairs that day. It was, everything was functional, it was functional fitness, things that I was doing in the gym, but it was helping me in my daily life. We had the flood this past August, and uh, one of the big ways, you know, uh, that we saw that this functional fitness was really helping was sandbags. Any y'all lift a sandbag? So I'm like, I'm like in my, in my living room and I see Lindsay picking up sandbags, like throwing it on her shoulder, walking out. And I was like, boys, never mess with your mama. You see her over there? Those are 40 pound bags. She just threw that around. She's like, baby, listen, I was like lifting these bags. It's like, it's functional fitness. It's a fitness that you're doing in the gym, but it helps you function in normal day life. And why did I bring all that up? Because I wonder if that can also transfer over into our faith is what we do in the gym of our faith, the church, helping us Monday through Friday in our normal life? Or does it not, or, or is it just we're, we're doing this stuff and then we get into normal life and it like, it looks good, but it doesn't help anything. And I, I, you would be so surprised as a pastor how many people I come in contact with that have been in church for years and even decades and their faith gets rocked with the smallest of things because they have great faith in church, but their faith really is nothing to stand on during the test of time during the week. My job as your pastor is to help you have functional faith, to help make sure that your faith that you subscribe to, that you believe in, that you put all of your trust into will work on Tuesday. Come on, how many want a faith that works on Wednesday? How many want a faith that fights for you on Friday and stands with you on Saturday? Come on, how many want that faith? And you'd be surprised at how many people I have met that have been people of faith that have no faith at all during the week. It is, it is just totally devoid. They got their faith life on Sundays, but then they got the rest of their life during the week. And James is addressing that in this chapter. He's talking about you need to have functional faith. But before he talks about functional faith, the faith that he desires, that God desires, he talks about dysfunctional faith. 
So let's show you. James chapter 2, verse 15. Go, go, go with, with me there. James 2, 15 says, If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Hey, go in peace. Be warmed and filled. That's just another way of saying, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I hope you get some food, and I hope you stop being naked. Okay? Because he... What does he say? He's poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, go in peace, be warm and filled. Without giving them the need, things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is that? What good is that faith? To say you have faith and yet you see somebody that needs practical things that you actually have the ability to help with, but you say, you know what, just go in peace. I'm praying for you. Hey, believing for you, believing with you. Next time, hopefully I'll see you. You got some clothes on. He says, what good is that? So also faith by itself, it does not have works. And it is, what's that word? Dead. Say it again. Dead. dead. It is dead. So write this down. First, first dysfunctional faith is dead faith. James gives us a definition of what dead faith is. Lip service with no life service. Let me ask you this question. What do dead things do? The fact that you had to think about that for a minute, I don't know. What's, what do dead things do? Nothing. What does dead faith do? Nothing. See, religious people are people who subscribe to something and say something, but they do nothing. They talk a lot. They just don't do a lot. They have the lip service, but they don't have the life service. How many know some people like that? How many are sin by... No, just I'm not going to do that. Okay. No, you, you know these people that say these things, that say they believe in God, they say that they trust God, they say these things, they, they can say all the right things, but when it comes to actually doing, when it comes to actually helping, when it comes to actually serving, when it comes to actually loving, they're totally devoid of those things. And James would give it probably one of the harshest words, and he says that faith is dead. Now, I want you to notice this. James is talking to Christians who think they have faith. So he's talking to the church. He's going, you think you have faith. I just want to let you know your faith is actually dead. So he's, he's telling them, guys, listen, you've got to make sure that if, if, if you're going to say that you have faith, you have to live that faith out by your works. Now, I, let, let me just say this. As the pastor of this church, I am forever blessed that OSC is one of the most generous churches I've ever, I've ever been a part of. You, you are phenomenal. I, and I really do mean that from the bottom of my heart. You are some of the most generous people that I know. We, we have a Facebook page that is designed um, just to, for our community and our faith community to be able to talk and share things and share needs. And I can't tell you over the last month how much I've been blessed to see people talking about, I need a job. And then somebody goes, I got you. Someone says, man, I need this fixed. And somebody goes, I got you. And somebody says, I, I can't cut this grass. And somebody says, I got you. Come on, how many know that's the church, by the way? That's what the church should do. And that's what the church should be. Okay, we're either going all in or not. Okay, everybody's, you just left them hanging. You left them hanging, so. Okay, okay, all right. Okay, so. If you clapped and nobody clapped with you, just slap them. You have full permission. Slap them, okay? Clap with me. Don't make me do this by myself. So, I'm excited. Um, so, I, I don't know if you know this. We have, a, we have a mill ministry here at our church. Um, it's, it's ran by Roxanne Fonda. Roxanne, where you at? Are you in here, Roxanne? Where you at? Oh, look, there she is. Yeah. All right. She's awesome, by the way. She's so awesome. Um, and, and we have so many people on, on our ministry, on our mill team and, and we'll continue to take more. I'm not one of them, by the way. Um, you don't want me cooking for you. Uh, you'll get hot pockets. 
and they'll probably be a little burnt. So, but thankfully for Roxanne and her team, they do a phenomenal job. And Roxanne was, was at our house this past week and she was just telling me, she said, Pastor Josh, I don't know if you realize this, in the past six months, just this year, our, our team has cooked over 90 meals for people in our church. 90 meals in six months. That's crazy. Oh, wait, hold on. We going in? Are we, okay. Trying to coach y'all here, okay? <laughs> Got to decide. Are we going? Okay, so 90 meals, though. That's phenomenal. Thank you to all those who have done that. How many of you have been a recipient of one of those meals? Raise your hand. Come on, anybody in here? Two people. Man, y'all have been eating well. <laughs> it's time we spread the wealth. Roxanne, we got to get some other, some other people, okay? So, I, no, I'm joking. So, um, they were all to nine. Um, so, we have been, we, we bless people and help people, and I'm so thankful for that, by the way. And I'm not doing that to brag about our church. I'm doing that to brag about you, because you are generous. I believe we have a church that does not have dead faith. I think many of you have very active alive faith because you realize that you've been so blessed that you, you, you are blessed to be a blessing. The blessor blesses us so we can be a blessing. And where it stops is, is when you think that your blessings are only for you. It was never designed for just you. It was always designed to be passed beyond you. That's actually where the greatest joy comes in. But James is saying, guys, listen, you are so blessed. I've done so much in your life, and yet you see somebody who doesn't have food, doesn't have clothes, and you're telling them no, but you don't realize I've already provided them the meal. Here's the problem. It's in your pantry. You need to cook it, and you need to bring it. And I've already provided them clothes. They go, oh, man, I hope you get some clothes. I already did provide them clothes. It's in your closet. You know those 16 coats you got? You can give one of them. And so God is calling us as a church not to just be a church that says we love Jesus, but to be a church that actively does this. Let me show you some statistics I found about our city. So I was excited when David sent that to me about, about our city and the, the crime rate going down. I think that's because of prayer, by the way. Um, but look at this. Our population, just in Jennings, so I know we have people from all over, but just Jennings alone is 10,383. We got 68% white, 28% black, and 4%, yes, 4% David and Andrew and... <laughs> myself. Okay. It's a little of the Mexican community up in here. Okay. So, all right. So we got that. Go back, go back, go back. We have, we have, we have the 4% covered. I think we got most of them. All right. So I'm, I'm going to tell you though, the reason that I put this is because by the way, um, our Savior's church is not a white church and we're not a black church and we're not a other church. We're a everyone church, by the way. So So if you come in here with a preferential thinking that your race is, is greater than another, you found the wrong church first off. And I say this all the time, if you're white, we're glad you're here. If you're black, welcome home. Because I really am. I, I, I am a Mexican skin with a black soul with a white heart. That's, that's how it goes. So um, I, I want to see us as a church, by the way, tear down every racial barrier in this city. And um, we're going to be that church. We're going to be that church. And, uh, so, and so that's, that's who we're going to be. And, and, but I want you to see this next one. Okay, now you can put the next one up. 30%, 30.8% live below the poverty line in Jennings. So, you know, we think about poverty. We think of Kenya. We think of Ethiopia. We think of Haiti. But it's right here in our own backyard. 
I mean, I, I spend a lot of time with our principals here in our city and um, at Ward. I know at Ward alone, just Ward, which is, you know, pre-K to second grade, over 80% of those kids are on assisted government meals. 80%. So we have poverty like crazy in our own city. Some of you fit in this. And so we as a church, listen, you go, well, we got to do something about it. You're right, we do. And as a church, we need to be that church because we are a church that lives in the city for the city. We are a church that reaches people and builds lives. We are a church that, that, that no matter if you're white or black or Hispanic, you're rich, poor, whatever your demographic, we are a church that wants to reach every person and help in every situation. If we can help, we want to help. And so I love the fact that we can be a church like that, that because of your generosity, we're able to do so many different things in our city. We have people call us every week for benevolence, to help out with so many different things. I wish I could just begin to tell you the, the calls that we get and, and the fact that we get to help as many people as we do. We get to help a, a lot of people. Now you say, well, what if people take advantage of you? Because, you know, I don't give money away to people. What, 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 well, here's the, here's, the, here's the case. First off, we do try to filter through a lot of that to try to get people that are trying to take advantage. We try to get them, you know, other help in other ways. But I would rather be a church that errs on the side of generosity that says, you know what, if you need it and if we have it, we want to be a blessing because I know this, God always honors those who honor him. Amen? And so anything, listen, you will be taken advantage. I can't tell you how many times I've had my heartstrings pulled and I wanted to help somebody and then I realized, like, they're using me. But you know what? God's payback plan is way better for them and God's payback plan for me is way better for me. And so we're going to be a church that doesn't just talk about it. We're going to be a church that actually does something. So when we hear of needs in our community, we want to actively engage and be involved in that as much as we possibly can. Well, you say, well, why is that so important? Because Jesus talks about this all the time. Matthew, let's go. Matthew chapter 25 says, then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and, fe or, and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and sow you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? Watch, he continues, and he says this, when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And this is what the king, this is what God will say. God will say, I will tell you the truth, that when you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. You were doing it to me. So we want to be a church that engages all people. All people. All are welcome. You know, Jesus talks about the poor, the widows, the oppressed, and the weak more than heaven and hell, more than wealth and heal healing. So we need to be a church that we, we need the eyes of Jesus to see people. We need the ears of Jesus to hear people. We need the heart of Jesus to love people. We need the mouth of Jesus to encourage people. We need the hands of Jesus to help people. Come on, somebody. You know, we are his body, and he uses us to do what he wants to do on this earth. This is the church. Well, he goes on in James chapter 2, and he says in verse 18, but someone will say, it's kind of like he's like introducing somebody, I guess, that brought up this issue. Somebody's saying over there that you have faith, and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So this is what we have. We have a, we have a, a, a tension that's going on. We have some people that are talking about, you need to have faith, and it's just faith and faith alone. That's all you need. And then you have this other side that's saying it's works, and you just need to work, and you just need to prove your salvation and show it. 
So you got these two sides. So faith, the faith people, the faith side are saying, well, it's just faith alone. All I need is faith. Jesus did it all. I don't have to do anything. He's, he's done everything for me. I don't need to pray because God's sovereign. He'll take care of it. I don't need to give because God will provide. I don't need to serve because God will, God will take care of those people. It's just religious stuff. So you got the faith side, and then you got the work side. The work side of people is the people who think, well, I just need to earn this salvation. I need to try harder. I need to do better. And so you got the works side of things, which, by the way, depending on what background you came out of, you can go to either side. So this is how you know if you're a works person. When you're not doing well, do you still go to church? When life is not going well, or when you fail, or when you bomb, or when you do something you shouldn't do, do you, do you still engage, or do you run? Because if you're running, the reason you're running is because you think that somehow your good behavior is what make God love you. And that's the furthest from the truth. Ephesians 2 says it this way. Watch. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Listen, you can't work it. You can't earn it. You, you don't deserve it. It's a gift, so you can't even pay for it. It says, it's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we see a scripture like this and go, well, it's got to be faith. It's got to be faith, and, and it can't be, it's not works. Well, they're talking about two different things. One's talking about salvation. Well, let, let me give you, let me, let, me, let me play it out in this way. I think you, you have some notes, and I'll, and I'll show you how faith and work play out. So faith deals with the root of salvation, Faith is the root of salvation. So it says, you are saved by faith. Faith that Jesus did all that he said he'd do, and if I believe in him, that is. That is the root of our salvation, that Jesus did it all. But you also need works, because works is the fruit of your salvation. So the root of salvation says that you, you are saved, but the fruit of your salvation shows that you're saved. So it's like when I go and I look at an apple tree. I know it's an apple tree, why? I see apples. The apples tell me that that's an apple tree, not the roots. Now, are the roots important? Yes, but I need both. Let me show you the next one. Faith is how to know you're a Christian. So I know that I'm saved because I have put my faith in Christ and Christ alone. That's all I have to do, and that's all he asked me to do. Ephesians 2, what we just read, said that. So yes, it is how to know you're a Christian, but works is how to show you're a Christian. So you find out how to know you're a Christian by faith, but you show that you're a Christian by your works. And last one, let me give you this last one. Faith makes me right before God. So not what you do or don't do. You know, I know uh, those that are in here, you're waiting for the list. Like, just tell me what I need to do so God can like me. There's no list. The list is love God because he so loved you. Surrender your life to God. That is faith. Faith believes that God is enough in all that he does in your life. And it makes me right before God. But works makes me right before people. So living this faith out now makes me right before people. How many of you know if loving God was all you had to do, how many of you know that would be pretty easy? But how many of you know he added a second commandment? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then, oh, by the way, <clears throat> love your people. Okay. Like, whoa, wait, what was that? <clears throat> love people. How many know people are hard to love? So God develops your faith by making you work. All right, so when you work it, you get, more, you get greater faith. 
it is, it is, it is important. You, you need to understand both sides. So I, I have a bit of an illustration that will maybe help bring this to light. As the guys are bringing it out, let me, let me say what John Calvin said. John Calvin put it this way. It is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies is never alone. Faith alone that justifies. Yeah, come on. How many got a Schwinn? Schwinn, Schwinn, Schwinn. So this is my wife's bike, by the way. So she's watching me right now to make sure that I treat it right. On this bike, there are two wheels, and there's also two pedals. All right? Question. Can I ride this bike with one wheel? <laughs> if I have good, good wheelies, I mean, maybe. There's a possibility. How far could I go? Mm, not too far, probably. Could I ride it with one pedal? Yeah. I've, have y'all seen anybody? My kids have tried to do that. When the other pedal falls off, they're just like, ah, I'm just riding it. They go about 50 feet. All right? Well, in James, what we're... What we're what he's telling us right now is that you need to have faith and you need to have works. You need to have both sides. You need to have one pedal and the other. James chapter 1, at the end of James chapter 1, we didn't, we didn't discuss it, but he talks about, hey, listen, make sure that you're not just hearing the word. Make sure you're also, anybody know? Doing, doing the word. So guess what? You got a pedal, hearing, and doing. People ask me all the time, well, listen, is God perfecting me or am I perfecting myself? And the answer, both. God is convicting, he's challenging you, he's calling something out, but he demands a response. So in this faith that we call, we do have faith, but we also have the side of what we have to play. God is sovereignly working, but he's also calling us to do things. God, come on, how many of you know that God can save somebody, but he would rather you talk to those people because he can use you that way? God, y'all with me here? You need both sides. You need both pedals. And by the way, when you have both pedals and both pedals are working right, then, the, then it goes. You stay balanced. The problem is most people only have one pedal. They either have faith or they have works. They think it all depends on God or it all depends on them. It's not the case. It's both. It's a partnership. We're working together. God is speaking. We're obeying and responding. Y'all see, see how this plays out? So with that being said, let's talk about the next one. So we have dead faith, which is you have lip service, but no life service. And then you have useless faith. James 2, 19 through 20 says, you say you have faith, for, for you believe that there is one God. And then he says this, good for you. That's kind of like, that's sarcastic, by the way. Good for you, all right? He says, and then he, and then he throws in another little thing, just a, another little jab. Oh, by the way, oh, even the demons believe that. And oh, and, and, and they, they even tremble in terror because of that. You don't even tremble. So they believe the exact same thing you do. And do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith, apart from works, is what? Useless. It's useless. They're quoting De Deuteronomy chapter 6. James is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says that they believe that there is only one God. But James also is reminding them, hey, by the way, demons believe the same thing. Demons believe in Jesus. How many of you know demons are probably more theological known than me and you? They know more about the Bible than you and I do. What's the difference? The difference is they believe, in, believe that God exists, who God is, but they don't believe in God. 
There's no trust in him. There's no, action, there's no works side. So there's the faith side. Yeah, they do believe in God, but there's no work side of that. He is not the Lord of their life. And, and this passage is telling us that if you just have the information, if you just know that God is Lord, but yet you don't live as God is Lord, there's no transformation. So it's, it's head knowledge without heart change. Know any people like that? They know a lot about the Bible. They can tell you a lot about the Bible. They could debate you all day long about the Bible, but their marriage is a wreck. Their family is a wreck. Their, their tongue is out of control. They're, they know it here, but they don't know it here. Here's why that's the case. Because information doesn't always lead to transformation. What leads to transformation is information plus application leads to transformation. Y'all with me here? You become more like God, not by the Bible you know, but by the Bible you do. That was really good. You should have, that, that was good. You need to write that down, okay? You become more like Jesus, not by the Bible you know, but by the Bible you do. Do you need to know the Bible? Yes. Do you need to do the Bible? Yes. You need both. So if you went to school, let's say you went to school, and, and, and you went to school to study bikes, Let's just say, you, you went to school to study bikes, and you came out of your college PhD education with a, uh, a PhD in bikeology. If that is an actual PhD, then whew, we need some help. But let's say you came out of that school, and you had the ability to come out of school, and you could tell me everything about this bike. You could tell me where, where this bike was made. You could tell me all the metals that were put in to make the bike. You could tell me just how cushiony the seat is and, and how long I could last on this cushiony seat. And you talk about the gear ratios, and you know, you put, they put it in this gear ratio. You can climb this hill, and you can do all that. And I mean, you just knew everything about the bike. That would be awesome. But then when I asked you the question, have you ever ridden a bike? They go, well, no, I just know, I know a lot about the bike. I can tell you everything. I can tell you how to ride the bike. I've even studied the bike in Greek. I mean, I, I, mean, I know I memorized the parts of the Bible. I know, no, no, have you ever ridden a bike? Well, no, I've never, never. How many know faith don't work till you get on the bike? When you get on the bike, and you actually go, now we're moving. I feel like I need to be handing out some ice cream. What's up, man? What's up, what's up? And so I'm about to crash. All right, so you need both pedals. Y'all ready to see a wheelie? Y'all ready? No, I'm not doing it. Okay, so you need both. Listen, it is when you teach your kids how to ride their bike, they learn how to ride the bike first day, usually no. Why? Falls, bumps, fear, scared, parents' backs hurting because you're holding the back of it all the time. Y'all know what I'm talking about? But their faith in the ability to ride the bike is growing because they're riding. Do you see how this works? The more you ride, the greater the faith increases because you're being stretched. Now my boys jump on a bike and they don't even think now about, oh, I don't know how to ride. It's not even in their vocabulary in and out. You know why? Because they got on the bike. Some of you in here are wondering why your faith is not working. It's because you're not on the bike. Get on the bike. Run the pedals. Put some faith in action. Go all in. Go. If not, you'd know a lot of stuff. 
You know it in here, but you're wondering why it's not happening in here. Why do I know it, but my marriage isn't changing? Why do I know all this stuff, but my life isn't changing? Why do I know all these things, but I'm still addicted? Why am I? You know why? Because you know it in here, but you don't know it in here, and it only gets in here when you start applying it and doing it. And when you do that, when you do that, the pedals start moving, and guess what? Your life propels forward. And some of you are stuck in park, because maybe you're even on the bike, but you're not pedaling. Oh, I'm scared I'm going to fall. You will fall. I'm scared I'm going to get hurt. You will get hurt. But guess what? All my boys got back on the bike. Oh, man, I don't know about this church thing, man. I really got hurt at the last church. Yeah, because guess what? We're human. Everybody in here is imperfect. If you find the perfect church, as soon as you join it, it's not perfect anymore. <laughs> Come on, right? We're a family. We say this all the time. And family hurt, hurt each other. Hopefully not intentionally, but it happens. But you still get back on the bike. Functional faith. This is what God desires and he wants for us to have. So he's talking about a useless faith here, an information, but no transformation. You know things, but it's not doing anything. Try application. So okay, let's talk about the, the real faith. So we've talked about dead faith and, and useless faith. That's dysfunctional faith. But what about functional faith? Well, James is going to give us two people as illustrations. First one is, is one that we definitely have to put into the ball game, and that's Father Abraham. And they had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I was one of them. And everybody who's not in Sunday school, that just flew right over your head. So, that's <clears throat> just right arm. Okay, so, all right. James chapter 2, verse 21 says this. Was not Abraham our father justified by what? He was justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. Okay, hold on. So let's, let's pause here real quick. So wait, wait, wait. What's going on here? We're killing sons? Okay, this is crazy. Okay, so this is, this is how it plays out. Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram and says, Abraham, I'm going I'm to give you multi, many descendants, more descendants than you can even imagine, more than the stars in the heavens, more than the sand on the seashore. It's going to be your descendants, and they're going to be my people. And, and he gives them this promise in Genesis chapter 12. Well, he doesn't give them a son in chapter 12. He doesn't give them a son in chapter 13. doesn't give them a son in chapter 14. How many know sometimes when God promises you something, he still waits? Chapter 15, finally, God gives Sarah and Abraham a son. They're 100 years old, finally, about time, Jesus, all right? All right, so 100 years old, and, and they have a son. And so this is the promised child. This is the child that, that God said, you know, we're going to have multiple ones, and this is the beginning. This is, and, and they're so excited, and, and then here we are. God turns around and says, oh, by the way, Abraham, I, I, I need you to sacrifice now this son, Say, what, Jesus? You want, you want what? I need you to, to bring this up to Mount Moriah, and I need you to kill him. Okay, so let me, let me get this right. So you're saying, you promised me a son, and now you're going to take him away. Yes. Which, could you imagine what that conversation was like with his son, by the way? Hey, son, we're going to go on a little excursion. You know, grab some firewood, you get up to the top of the mountain, you know, everything's good, and going, hey, we're going to make a sacrifice. All right, Dad, let's make a sacrifice. Where's the sacrifice? Lay down. And, and, and Abraham goes through the process of literally, the Bible says, pulling the knife out to go and slaughter his son. God stops him in that moment. And this is what James speaks of that moment when he says, you see, that faith was active along one pedal, faith, is active, along with works. So he said he trusts God, 
but then he also showed that he trusts God, and faith was completed by his work. So I want you to write this down. First, first attribute of a, of a functional faith, if you want your faith to work on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you gotta love God. You just gotta love God. What, what do I mean by loving God? It's not so simply just saying, well, I do love God. Yeah, you may say you love God, but love is action. Love is a verb. Love is something that you do. It's not just something that you say. And so his way of showing God, I love you, was he went and got firewood. He went and got his son. He went on this hike. He actually began to put into practice the things that he said that he was going to do. And loving is that. Oftentimes when you love somebody, you're willing to go outside of your comfort zone for that person because you love them. And how many know faith will require you to go outside of your comfort zone? Anybody in here, God's told you to do something, you're like, uh-uh, that's not me. That's a word for her. All right, you just skip me. You just, it's for her. And God's going, uh, it's for you. Because God calls us oftentimes to step out of our comfort zone. Because you can have faith or you can have control, but you can't have both. And if you're going to have faith in God, you're going to have to be willing to lose control for God to go, God, wherever you want me to go, God, whatever you want me to say, God, whatever you want me to give, God, whatever you want me to do. And Abraham was that. Abraham said, God, this son is yours. He gave him, you gave him to me, so I'm giving him back to you. This, and, and this plays out in so many different ways, but you know, when I was training my boys how to swim, any of you had to train your children how to swim, my youngest son, Josiah, was fearless. Literally, he would jump in the pool before I got into the pool. Unfortunately, he didn't know how to swim. When he jumped in the pool, he just liked water, so I had to rescue, okay? So, um, but my older two were a little bit more, more scared. And so, you know, you stand, you know, it, I mean, the pool's literally three feet deep. You're like, jump, son. You know, I'm right here. And they're like, no, I can't, I can't. Trust me. Daddy's not going to let you drown. No, I'm going to die. Okay, listen, if I wanted you to die, I would have killed you a long time ago, all right? So... <laughs> other ways to do that, but I, I'm here for you. Trust me. And how many know they can say, dad, I trust you. Dad, I love you. But if they don't jump, they don't trust. They don't jump. Then that is the work behind the faith. You say you have faith in daddy. Jump. Jump. Let's see what you got. And today, God is offering that same challenge to you and I. You believe in me? Jump. Go all in. Jump. Love God means trusting God. And, and when we love God, we need to display to people our love for God. And you display your love for God not by the things that you say, not by your lips, but by your lives. How many know your lives speak louder than your lips? Yeah, that was good. Okay, how many of you say <laughs> your lives speak louder than your lips? You can say one thing, but if your life is living the total opposite, it doesn't matter what you're saying. So I wrote down a couple, couple of things here. How will people know that God is our provider if they don't see us trust him with our finances? How will they know that God is our forgiver if all they see us is holding grudges with those that we love? How will they know that our God is loving if all they see is us as bitter and negative every time they're around us? How will they know that our God is faithful if they never see us step out in faith and actually trust him? How will they know that our God is worthy to give our lives to if all they see is mom and dad going to church once every six weeks? We display to our children, to our family, to our community that we love God. I pray that you can walk into a room and spend time in a room and with people just being around you, not even knowing that you're a Christian, could say, that guy loves God. I pray that our lives would make such a such a difference, and we don't have to even say it. 
just by the way that we uphold ourselves, just by the way that we talk about people, just by the way that we encourage people and give life. I pray that there would be something different about us, that our faith works. I pray that when you're walking through a hard time, people that don't know God come up to you and go, how are you doing this? And you go, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the one that helps us. So we love God as Abraham did. Let me give you the second one, is we love people. And he gives, he gives this last illustration with a woman named Rahab. It says, in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute. How many would like that tag on your name? <laughs> I'd be like, God, could it just be Rahab? I mean, do we gotta add, you know, and the swindler? Like, I don't need that, okay? But yet God keeps that there to remind us of where she came from. It says, in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified, now watch this, by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So Joshua chapter two, if you go look in the Old Testament, Joshua chapter two, the children of Israel are going to go into Jericho to find out how they can beat Jericho. So Joshua sends in spies into Jericho. These spies encounter Rahab. Rahab says, hey, you can come stay with me. They go into her house and she says something along the lines, you can go read it for yourself in Joshua 2, but she says something along the lines of, we have been hearing about the children of Israel and we know that God is with you. Our hearts are melted in this city. We know that you're gonna take over our city. Would you spare my life? If I save yours, would you spare mine? She hid the spies so that none of the people in Jericho could find them. Then she let them out and they, of course, went back to the children of Israel, came back, we know the story of, of Jericho. The walls came down and they did what they said they would do. They let Rahab and her family live. The next time you read Rahab is in Matthew. Matthew. Oh, what? In the New Testament? She's that old. How old is she? No, no, listen. Okay. She is in Matthew because she from there on becomes a part of the lineage of Jesus. So Jesus comes out of Rahab. Rahab was his great, 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 great grandmother. All because she said, you know what? I'm willing to lay down my life for you. And God says, you know what? That faith that says, I believe in God, and not only do I believe in it, but I'm willing to lay my life down for it. God says she was saved by her faith. She was justified by her works, but her works just proved where her faith was. And I'm going to tell you right now, the greatest indication that you love God is how you love people. I tell my boys this all the time. You only love God as much as you love your brother. So don't tell me you love God and then hurt your brother. That's not true. Because if you love God, you're going to love people. Now, by the way, is it hard? Yes. If it was easy, God wouldn't command it. <laughs> if it was easy, God would just say, do what you do. But he doesn't. He says, I command you. Watch, here we go, John 13, Jesus says, a new command, I'm gonna give you, love one another. You only have to command somebody to do something if they're not willing to do it or if it's hard to do. And he commands them, he says, love one another. Now watch this, Here's, here is the motivation behind us loving one another is as I have loved you. Jesus says, I've modeled love to you. I have forgiven you. I have walked with you. And just as I have, so you must also love one another. And by this, all people, now watch this, 
all Jennings, all Lake Arthur, all your school, all your family, all of our community will know that we love Jesus and we are disciples of Jesus if we love one another. So the greatest compliment I get at this church, let me tell you what the greatest compliment I get at this church. When people come that are brand new, here's the greatest compliment I get. People in here just love one another. Man, they're just, they're friendly. They love one another. They take care of one another. That's the greatest compliment because you know why? You can't love other people unless you love God. But you can't love God and not love other people. Saved people serve people. Saved people serve people. So, okay, well, Pastor Josh, what do I do with all this? Well, this is an opportunity for us to reflect on, God, is my faith dead? And do I, do I say things with my lips? I say things that I know about God, but yet I, my life is detached from that? Is my, is my faith useless? Do I have a bunch of information? Do I sit in church and hear the same messages and hear these things and go, that's good, that's good, that's good, but then walk out of my life as none, no different? I haven't changed one bit. My life looks just like the people who don't even come here. Is it useless? Or do, do you have some functional faith, but maybe it's, it's been weakened? Maybe, come on, how I many know we're never gonna perfectly love God, we're never gonna perfectly love people. It's all, we're gonna be imperfectly doing it, but how many know we wanna get better at it every week, every month, every year? I wanna love people more next year than I do this year. I wanna love my wife more next year than I do this year. I wanna keep growing and keep getting better at loving God and loving people.